Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the TetraCast. My name is Zach Reese. I'm your host. It is the September 15, 2018 edition. Joining me today is Adam Vitali. Hello. Hello. And James Galizio. Hello. Hello. So yeah, um, it was crazy this past week. Uh, it's kind of nuts to think about how much news dropped in the past seven days. Part of it was that Sony had their annual pre-TGS, pre-Tokyo Game Show uh, press conference that they held on Monday, uh, at least here. It was like September 10th, in fact. Um, that went on for just over an hour. And then Nintendo had their Nintendo Direct that they <laughs> uh, delayed, in fact. It was supposed to go out uh, a little over a week ago, but because of the earthquake that happened in Japan, they delayed that until this past week. Uh, Wednesday? Am I am I miss No, Thursday, I'm sorry. Thursday. It's, yeah. it's been a whirlwind of a week. So yeah, this past Thursday they had their comp- their own Nintendo Direct live stream that lasted for 35 minutes. So we have a lot to talk about including other stories that broke from between those two events. So with that in mind though, before we get into that, we like to talk about the games that we've been playing, of course. Uh we're going to keep this a little bit light just because we've got so much news to get to, but James so, um, you've been uh, playing a lot of Labyrinth of Refrain, Coven of Dusk, or as it's known, Coven and Labyrinth in Japan. Um, now, this is a game you've been looking forward to quite a while. It was kind of surprising how long it took to be getting announced for localization in the West. Um, yeah. But uh, the embargo is already up. Uh, you continued playing it, though, because you wanted to see the ending, as we like to do yeah. when we review games. So, uh, what's been your thoughts on that game since you're now free to talk about it? Um. I'll keep it kind of short and simple. If you're a fan of dungeon RPGs or DRPGs, as people call them, and you own a Switch, PS4, PC, get this game. Fantastic um, DRPG. Probably one of the best I've played. Is that it? Um, (laughs) Okay. All right. There you go. (laughs) On that note, (laughs) the costume. I guess the one other thing I kind of want to mention, I kind of told you guys about this in the staff chat before, but um, I'll kind of have an asterisk Toward, um, asterisk, yeah, towards my uh, previous uh, recommendation, just because um, it isn't for everyone. The themes are a bit mature. It has some content in there. It's not necessarily sexual content. There is some, but it's not what's usual. Mm-hmm. Like Nishiro Japanese games, you two know what I'm talking about. It's not that type of sexual content. It's like different. Um, the big yeah. thing about it is, is that it's just very, very mature. There's like the enemy designs can be disgusting. They can be like the boss designs are amazing, but it, it's like the char- the enemy designs aren't something I'd say that are beautiful, but they're definitely very good art and they fit the game's tone like perfectly. They're well animated. They look nice, even if nice in this sense means disgusting. Sure. Um, yeah, the localization is very good, which makes sense since they've been working on it for so long. Uh, the English dub is fantastic. Like, if you're going to be playing the game, I'd say the English dub is the way to go. And this is coming from someone that usually prefers the Japanese audio in these games. Yeah. Um, part of that is because the game itself is a bit of a riff on Western fairy tales and uh, whatnot. So, like, there's there's some Japanese fairy tales in there somewhat, but it's for the bulk of the journey, it's definitely very much like Western fairy tales. Like, there's a character called Baba Yaga, which is literally an Eastern European folk tale about a witch. So, mm-hmm. um, one word yeah. that you used when you were describing it before, which is kind of the feeling I got just from a distance, is unnerving. 
like it's maybe not like a horror game, yeah. but it, it's kind of, it, it's there, are, there are moments, moments there, there are things I've seen. Obviously I haven't played it yet. Although I may, I am interested where it seems kind of unsettling or creepy, not like weird, creepy, but just kind of like eerie. Creepy is the, the, yeah, that's the feeling I, I, I get. I agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say necessary. And it definitely feels like the game's going for that. Like, um, one thing's for sure, the game definitely has a lot of heart to it, even if it is, like, um, throwing all of these, like, disturbing imagery at you and, like, honestly disturbing story beats. Like, I haven't played Witch in a Hundred Night, but there are events in here that seem in line with uh, some of the events that I've heard from Witch in a Hundred Night that kind of turn some people off. <laughs> uh, at least, uh, at uh, least in this case, though, the game seems like it can kind of balance that with the rest of the story now. And at least those moments feel like they have some purpose to it. Sure. So, I mean, I, I it's definitely something that if you're, if, if you don't think you'll do well with a game that has lots of violence, lots of really disturbing imagery, like mentally, physically, whatnot, definitely uh, stay away. But if you are, if you think you can handle something that's a bit more mature and a bit more like unsettling, like, like Western fairy tale, like below the surface unsettling, then definitely a really interesting setting. It's very, very, uh, it it goes there. Like it doesn't seem like it holds back in any regards, which is part of the reason why I really love the setting just because it's like, it knows it's messed up. It knows that it, that fairy tales are messed up and it just goes, okay, so we're going to just go all in with this. Now, how? Sorry, I thought you were done with your statement. No, I mean, what? I just uh, was wondering. You've been playing it for a while, and um, the reason why I don't have your review up yet is because you just wanted basically exhaust it, or at least see it through the end. But like, how long have you been? Like, I'm just wondering, like, how long is this game? Because I am interested, but is it more like 40 hours or 70 hours, or you know? I'd say in between 60 to 70 hours. Yeah. That's pretty long. Yeah, but that's Dungeon Crawlers also. Yeah, Yeah, Dungeon Crawlers. Um, I haven't fully finished it yet. I did figure out that there is something I need to do for the true ending, and I'm trying to get that out of the way before I actually go to the final boss, which is definitely going to be a little bit difficult because um, I won't say anything about it, but uh, we're definitely going to... I want to. I'm not sure if we are, but I want to put up a guide about how to get the true ending because some of it is fairly cryptic. For a second, I thought you were saying you're going to get the true ending before you beat the final boss, and I got really confused. So it took me a second. I was like, oh, you mean just get the... There's like certain objectives you need to complete uh, to unlock yeah. it once you're done. Okay, okay. Okay. Um, I guess what I can say without really spoiling it is that there's certain items called black pages that you need to get in order mm. to get the final boss. Mm. Well, not the final boss, to get the true ending. And those black pages, you can find one in each of the main dungeons that are part of the well. And you need to fight different hidden bosses to get them. But each boss has different criteria for finding them and actually unlocking them. So it's like a game long sort of like optional quest that gives you the 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 true ending. I wouldn't say it's um, game long. Like you do get. Well, you, you said one. There. You said like you said like one in each dungeon. So like a hidden boss in each dungeon that you need to figure out how to first of all encounter it, and then second how to beat it, and then once you get all these black pages, you can basically is that it is, is, is that roughly in the ballpark. Um. Yeah, I believe, um, and I found a Japanese wiki guide that I've been using to kind of look up like how to find these guys. 
Um, basically, if you get all the black pages, there's a separate story section after when you um, load your clear data from after the final boss. Ah, yeah. So that's like how an epilogue. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, um, um, you you didn't really talk about the battle system much. Uh, I know that, that it can be a little dry to talk about that on a podcast, but just from looking at it, it's a lot of dungeon crawler games have some sort of like job system, um, turn based battle system, but this one seems to be a little bit more complex, where you have like these sort of union job groupings that you kind of all have to coordinate. It seems really yeah, it's very it seems tricky. But it's also interesting. So. Yeah, so basically the way it works is that you have five slots for covens. And each coven can, well, first off, in order to make a coven, you need to have a pact, which has slots for attackers and supporters, and each slot has its own specific bonuses, and each pact has its own innate um, donum abilities, which are basically your magic abilities. So... You'll find these packs all throughout the game. Some of them you'll get from side quests. Some of them you'll get by doing like uh, encounters in the dungeon. Some of them you can just find literally just lying around. And each of them are different. Um, and uh, so when you apply a pact to a coven, then you can equip characters to that coven. So at a max, say that you get enough um, covens, well, say that you find enough packs to max out the um, total amount of party members you can have, like theoretically you can have up to 40 yeah. members in your party. The only 15 of them are attacking and like 25 of them are support lines, which is interesting because mm-hmm. you can also like expend a, a resource called reinforcement to actually swap out party members from the support line to the attacking line on the fly. Um, I don't feel like, I don't feel like like swapping around like that's going to be something most people are going to have to do unless you're tackling the harder difficulty. But there is a lot of um, tinkering that you need to get used to with the um, party system. Like the battle system itself isn't too com- um, complex, though there is some of it there where you can, again, expend reinforcement to not just swap out, but also um, command each individual character in a coven. Because um, when you... Normally, when you uh, tell a coven to attack, it's like every character in the coven does the same thing. So if you want to use a spell, everyone uses a spell. If you want to attack, everyone attacks. If you want to defend, everyone in the coven defends. So it's not like one character doing this thing and then the other two doing this. It's you. It's all or nothing, and then you have to yeah. spend reinforcement to... It, 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 it feels like one of those things you kind of just have to like butt your head against it a little, a little bit before you really start to understand... like. And exactly not just that, because, like, remember, each pact itself has own, its own unique things, like its own um, stat bonuses, which can be the difference between between life and death. And also, they have different amounts of slots. They have different um, spells and whatnot. And then beyond that, um, you also have the Vanguard rearguard system, where um, mm-hmm. certain weapons work better in the front lines, whereas some work better in the back lines. And so you want to set up covens so that one coven's in the front, one is in the back, and then there's specific formations that you can unlock that have different stat bonuses for your entire party, depending on how your uh, setup is. So, like, for example, I have two rear guards on either side and a rear guard in the middle, and then the two uh, remaining covens are front guard or vanguard, and they're in between the rear guards. And because of that, I get um, Donum Defense, which gives me uh, 70% something like 70% extra defense and uh, 70% extra donum power. 
which is basically magical power for everyone in the party. So in this game, how much, how how often are you spending time in menus? Uh, how often am I spending in menus? Uh, yeah. I'd say that <laughs> like a lot. Like I mean, battle it, menus it, or it's, like, well, I mean, like when you're actually like setting up your party and things like that. I, I'd say it's not that much time because there is a button you can use for like if you're okay. Uh, well, um, there's a button you can use for like um, you're going through characters. You can press X and it'll automatically optimize the equipment for that character. So I'll just press X. A R button to go to the next character and just kind of spam that whenever I want to make sure that I'm like my equipment's up to snuff and whatnot. So it doesn't yeah. take that long. And honestly, I've been in Donum defense formation for the last, I want to say 30 hours and it's worked well for me. I'm sure different people have different um, configurations that they kind of gravitate towards. So it's not necessarily a bad thing that I found the one that I like to use and I'm just using it. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, like, I always, I actually kind of pre- like having a high level of, like, control over those sort of things, like, setting up your party, but then, like, if you have to, like, micromanage all the time, it can get a little tedious, so it's nice that they have at least some ways to to try to optimize it for you, um, even if it's not, like, perfectly You are going ideal. to have to optimize yeah. quite a bit to do some of these super bosses, because yeah. I've got two of them so far. And I've attempted one more of them, and they are definitely very difficult. And you're going to have yep. to make sure that your parties and your packs and whatnot are all set up right so that you can actually, you know, survive. Yep. So, yeah, but this, unfortunately, this game released in the middle of RPG Hell Month. So, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be I, difficult I mean to get to, to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good game. Um, there is a demo available for the Switch version out now, I think. So if you've yeah, got a Switch yeah. and you want to try it out, definitely um, do. It has a bit of a slow start, though, uh, what Dungeon RPG doesn't. So I believe it's the first dungeon, or at least a part of the first dungeon. I, I heard I, someone say it was a two-hour thing, like it's a li- time limit rather than a... That's not true, because okay. I oh, thought someone else not. on Twitter mentioned that they uh, finished up the demo at seven hours. <laughs> do you does any progress from the demo carry over to the main yes. game okay good i mean that's that's good i mean we were talking about how the battle system can be somewhat complicated to understand and so it seems like the demo would be a perfect way to figure things out before you uh invest in the main game i'd say yes and no just because you don't really start getting to the really interesting packs until i'd say end of the second dungeon beginning of the third dungeon and whatnot um, like up until then, usually you're just going to have packs that have one attacker slot, so you're only having one character per slot in your party. Okay, so then, uh, but you said this the demo is only like the first dungeon, and so you won't yeah. be able to experience that. Okay, is it because you get more characters in the second one? Is that why? Um, no, you have to. Um, so the way that character creation works, and I can't believe I forgot to mention this, is that you actually, like most dungeon RPGs, you create your characters. Um, The best way to put it is that your uh, soldiers are actually puppets that you craft, and then you give them a bunch of different stats. So you first off, you obviously choose what class you want them to be. Then you can like choose their gender, you can choose their appearance, and you can also choose their. um... There's a really interesting system where you can actually determine. Okay, so this character, this class by default has this um, stat layout for when it levels up. Like, this is how it grows. And you can choose to keep it as it is, kind of flatten it out, or to uh, kind of, uh, what's the Min-max. word? Min-max. 
Yeah, you can min-max. And you can basically say, okay, so this uh, guy is going to be a glass cannon. He's going to have a bunch of donum power. He's going to have a lot of strength. He's going to have very little defense and very little luck and whatnot. Stuff like that. And on the flip side, you can say, okay, I just want it to be average around everything. I just care about the skills he has yeah. or something like that. Yeah, so balance the party the way you want. Or you can have everybody be class cannons or something like that. So it's like the best offense <laughs> is the best defense, which is kind of like the way I like to play. Yeah, stuff like that. And awesome. keep in mind, you can do that for up to 40 characters in a party. And then there's also another thing called stance system. So like sun, um, sun stance is basically if you want them to be a tank, extra defense, extra HP, and they'll be uh, targeted more frequently. Oh, okay. And moon stance is... Uh, extra strength extra magic power and extra charm i think something like that yeah so you can do that for every character and it's actually massive changes because i have a character that's the normal stat distribution for the mad raptor which is a crossbow uh, magic user and uh, i have one that's um, double sharp which is basically as min max as you can be and the hp of the min max version at basically the same level is half of the default one. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So sounds pretty darn flexible there. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, that's good to hear that you're liking it so much. Um, so as you said, you're making your way uh, on, to unlock the true ending for that game. And so uh, expect a review sometime this upcoming week then. Yeah. Hopefully I'll have it out before um, Tuesday. That's what I'm going for. Yeah. That's when the game releases. Yeah. I think oh. I'll be able to make it. If not, definitely Wednesday. So Yeah. I mean, obviously, we'd rather have the full-fledged review on, on a game like this, especially because you've already invested so much damn time into it. It's important that we get through that. Yeah. I can totally see where you're coming from on that. I'm so, pretty sure yeah. that I'm pretty sure most of the reviews that are up now have not beat the game, so I just want to make sure that we do. <laughs> isn't that something like, I, I mean, I, I can kind of tell, you can always tell with reviews, and this isn't like an attack on other journalists. You yeah. know, they've got their own time I'm not calling out anyone specifically, just um, one thing. Uh, I read one review that said, oh, the story doesn't really get that interesting. And I'm like, and I'm right at the ending here. And I'm thinking, okay, so you, I, I don't see how you can come out. You can uh, get to the ending of the story or near the ending of the story and kind of say, oh, the story doesn't really go anywhere. Because it actually, the story is probably one of the strongest I've seen in a dungeon RPG. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's also subjective. Like, I would say the Witch and Hunter yeah. Knight uh, either game story doesn't really go anywhere in terms of something I would actually appreciate. <laughs> so maybe they'll yeah. just refer referring to that. Even with those revelations, perhaps it didn't do much for them. Uh, but you yeah. can, I mean, it's just something that all three of us have been doing reviews for a very long time and clearly you can tell when somebody has only played yeah. maybe a couple hours of it versus longer i don't know if a comment like that would really you know uh trigger things for me as terms true, of true. like recognizing well, that it's more just like some people complaining about a certain aspect of a game that very much exists i've been guilty of that myself but yeah. it's still something that uh Kind well, of blows me away one sometimes. thing I noticed that definitely tells me that the person that played the game or reviewed the game only put like five hours into it is that he says that the combat is random encounters where the second skill you get in the game, like you can even get it in the seven hour demo, is an ability to see uh, enemies on the map. <laughs> 
I mean, I think for Whoops. me, my biggest mistake was that I for- I didn't realize that one of the skills in Mary Skelter lets you auto save, oh, or like you save anytime you want. <laughs> That's like my biggest problem. I-, I beat the game, and I, st- I never at one point realized I had that skill in my in my, in my in my option. I I don't know how that happened. It's one of my I think big- everybody has that brain fart moment where they play through a game like somehow <laughs> just missing some some key element to it and like making it a lot harder on themselves you know just for, for no good reason oh you know, yeah i brute forced my way through games when i mis- made the mistake thinking that i needed to do something when i was either doing it way too early or way too like a, 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 the wrong approach like not using the right skill it's it's definitely happened to me in rpgs or especially. sometimes sometimes there's games where you like get exp but then you need to like spend it to like power things up and oh you might yeah forget neo you might forget <laughs> neo like, that reminds me happened to neo <laughs> for me i forgot to use skills to level up my character i just assumed that it was auto leveling and so i was trying to beat the boss and getting destroyed and then i leveled up properly and i destroyed him so i know yeah, that, yeah, is. that why is this game so hard yeah like, oh, that reminds me stupid. of uh, one of the systems in uh Kevin, is that you can actually stockpile your experience. And uh, so you, the way it works is that you, you expend uh, reinforcement. And as you keep doing battles, the uh, multiplier for how much experience you get from each battle goes up and up the more you, you go along. Sure. But if you, uh, so you can use it against tough enemies to c- try and kind of uh, min-max your grinding, which is really helpful except there's a random chance that um, the enemies you face might have a name to them, which means that they're stronger. So if you're going up against monsters that you can just barely manage without losing party members and you're grinding them, well, what happens if instead of one of those enemies, there's two of them next time, or instead of there being one, there's two of them and one of them has a name? Well, if you escape from battles, your entire uh, stockpile of XP just goes away. So it's a bit Mm -hmm. of a need to be careful with that <laughs> yeah a little bit of a gamble absolutely yeah that happened to me more times than i'm willing to admit yeah that's i mean dungeon crawlers in general are very hard to sometimes discern about whether it's your fault that you're messing up or the game's fault <laughs> so yeah until i get that feeling but it's good to hear that at least with this uh, this game that it's it's you're having a much better time with it i don't know if you played the witch and Hunter night games at all I have not. Oh, okay. I have not. That's, Though apparently, that's good. good idea not to. <laughs> the uh, Japanese wiki guide, there's an extra boss, like the final extra boss that you can face, which I think is, uh, what's the name of the witch from the first Witch in 100 Night? Metalia. 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 Metalia in Japan. Yeah. She's a, she's a, she's a one of the bosses? She's the, uh, she's an extra boss. Oh, okay. That's a bit of a spoiler, but that's cool. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Like, really, that's not much of a, I mean, that's, like, honestly, like, I'd probably be like... She I doesn't have it. anything to do with the story, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, It's just, kind of, it's just kind of a brand cameo thing. They do that. Yeah, sometimes. yeah. They've definitely done that, especially, like, in Disgaea games. I mean, come on. Uh, but that's... All right. <laughs> that's kind well, of... Nice. That's neat. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Uh, so, so, with that in mind, yeah, like I mentioned... Uh, You'll have a review up pretty soon, but you're feeling pretty positive about it, uh, and that yes. should reflect it, despite some qualms that you also have had. Uh, obviously, that this only uh, only a certain crowd will appreciate uh, the themes of the game, 
Which makes sense. Like, it seems like a lot of these, like, uh, passion projects, sometimes passion projects, I don't know if you describe Covenant Labyrinth the same way or Labyrinth. Oh, I definitely describe it as a passion project. Yeah, like a lot of those games are coming. What's the, um, what's the, uh, new Nipponichi game that's, that was announced for localization recently about, was like the Blind Prince or something like that? Uh, Liar Liar Princess and the Blind blind Prince? Yeah, the Liar Princess and the Blind Prince. That looks really neat, but just like Yomorari, it's like, it, it only is, it's like, they're willing to invest in these projects, which is kind of crazy, considering Nipponichi doesn't seem like they're in a great place right now in terms of profitability. Uh, and I was kind of halfway expecting them to announce the next disguise during TGS this year, because it's been like three years, I think, uh, since it um, came out. Coven, when it came out and beat it in Japan, sold incredibly well for Nipponichi. That's good. That's good to hear. So, uh, like, I... I don't know the uh, sales numbers off the top of my head, but I know that it immediately greenlit the uh, PS4 port it got. And I think they might have already announced that they're working on a sequel. I'm not sure. Yeah. But if they haven't announced it, they are definitely making one. That's so. good to hear. That's good to hear because it's like sometimes a sequel to a game uh, is sometimes worth it. Like, I don't know why Witch and Thunder Night got a sequel. It got a remaster too, but still. Uh, that's, that's good to hear I that they're. Remastered. I'm sorry? <laughs> I forgot which in the Hundred Night got a remaster. Yeah, we we got a copy, and I think I declined to review it just because, based on the fact that I did not have a good time with the original, I was like, "Why would I want to play it again uh, to cover yeah. it?" Uh, but you know, like there's they've got other projects that they have coming out. Like they just announced a new project not long ago that's looking kind of cool. Like I like the style for that one, and then um, they've got other localizations coming out. So it's 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 Nippon-Nichi is still chugging along pretty well, and that's good to see because, yeah. uh, you know, like I, st- uh, it's not like I don't want them to be around. Like, like I love the fact that they're putting out these smaller projects that are all really neat in some regard. They may not be great games at at, at their core, but I still love the fact that they're putting this stuff out, and uh, we're having a good time with at least some of them. So, um, looking forward to seeing what else they can come up with. Like, I hope they put out a new Yumarari game because I I still find something fascinating about those that about that series. Uh, well, for me, um, I already talked about Valkyrie Chronicles 4 last week quite a bit, and so I'm not going to talk about it that much. I will, of course, share my actual thoughts from the review because I can actually talk about that, give my real opinion about it. And as people who've read the review, it was incredibly positive. And that seems to be the general consensus across the board, which was uh, very nice to see. I wasn't expecting it, really, uh, because, you know, there was all that The talk. Japanese... Well, reception. Ahead. Sorry, <laughs> like I think I think this is what you're getting at. Um, so let, feel free to correct me. But it felt like the Japanese reception was pretty muted. Not that it was a bad game, but no. I kind of felt like it was it, like I don't know stale or something. Like maybe not not as interesting as pe- what people wanted. But the 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 localization reception is. I mean, I think it has like a Metacritic of like 87 or something like that, which it's, is pretty yeah. high. It's pretty, um, high. It, it's pretty well received. You know, people saying obviously what, what what people wanted to hear, that it's basically back to form for Valkyria Chronicles. So after yeah. 10 years, I mean, obviously most uh, three is well received for people who played it, but never got an official release. So four is basically for a lot of people the best game since one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if we're going to compare it to two, apparently. Years. I mean, I've not played two, but you, based on everything you've said over these past several months, it's clear that yeah. two wasn't anywhere near as good as one was, at least. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I don't know if it was muted. It was definitely just, like, lukewarm, uh, because, as you said, it was... Uh, I mean, this is basically what we were talking about, that it played it very, very safe, and that's 
kind of I, I assume based on the reception of Valkyrie Revolution, it's like they didn't want to go too crazy with this uh, one that's going back to form because if they did, then they'd start to once again uh, get people a little, um, you know antsy a little anxious uh and they would get backlash just like they did with revolution i have not played Valkyrie revolution i like to tag on it some t- well, rag on it sometimes but i still intend to play it but i know fully well that it's not going to be i'm not probably not going to have a great time with it but now that i played four it'll probably be easier <laughs> uh it's like well at least i've still got four to look at to say okay at least this was great uh, and they went back to this um and i think this will probably be the best time to go and try revolution but in any case um yeah my general opinion was that uh and this is like i once again as what i talked about last week they did a lot of really smart things in terms of the formula making it better than it was in one because this is really what we can compare it to is with one uh, that it's got a huge cast of characters that they imp- they make uh, more important through these different uh, features, including the, the squad stories. That allows you to really get to know your uh, squad mates in ways that the one never did. No, no, did they do it in two or three? Uh, because this is a new feature, of course. But it allows you get to know them, talk to them, uh, learn their backstories. And that's something that I, I really appreciated being able to do because yeah. you've got some really interesting design characters. And you're like, I really want to get to know them. And you and I, Adam, we talked about this last week. It's that, you know, there's definitely people in one that you wish you got to know, but they never really talked. They just kind of hunt out in the background. At least in this I mean, game. basically, Valkyria Chronicles 1, you have the core cast, you know, Welcome, yeah. Alicia, Rosie, Largo, uh, Isara, and then, like, every other character, you they literally do not appear in cutscenes at all. They no. You get, like, a bio on them in their, uh, yeah. in their, uh, uh, in the notebook, and then, like, you can sort of get their personality based on their quips. Yeah. Some of them, yeah. some of them like show up in like a dlc mission so like sort of you get a little bit of a spotlight on them like eddie like uh, the most popular ones got some yeah. highlight in the anime because once the, or, the ones got the most popular the ones they actually gave some voices to but that was it homer who is like basically uh, looking for death masochist yeah so he's, he's, yeah. he's yeah uh and he's, he's showed up in all the deals yeah homer showed up in all the dlc like he's one of the popular ones he's in which is he's, he's ed squad so yeah. like yeah I thought it was always so weird. He's just like, I want to die. Yeah, That's he's in two, three, and four as ZLC as like a, an important character. And the anime, he talks in there too. So clearly, <laughs> he's a standout character because, as you said, Edie especially, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be a Marina fan, yeah. which is weird because uh-huh. Marina was the most popular character in, in America in Valkyrie Chronicles 1. But yeah, she didn't really get that much of a spotlight. Um, How long? do you think it was i know there's like skirmishes and other stuff you can do but the game yeah so um now at a certain point uh because i was handed this game from josh he was originally supposed to review this but he got so caught up uh with his own review that he was doing for the uh xenoblade chronicles 2 torna dlc that just uh came out uh on friday um and we've got a review up for that as well, of course. But yeah, he was so uh, he was dealing with that, and he's got so much other stuff on the side that you know it's kind of hard for him to have the free time. So he passed it to me, and so I had to kind of blitz my way at some point, uh, still trying to absorb what I could from that, going through the squad stories. But yeah, the skirmishes I had to skip out on, which was I'm sure would have helped in some of these missions because it got kind of it got pretty difficult towards the end of that. Uh, maybe I got, made it kind of hard on myself sometimes. But uh, regardless. Um, by the time I was done with it, 
and this was through the uh, the save data. I'm sure I spent more time with it because the save data doesn't really describe it. I was save scumming yeah. as a like a fuck out of that game because I needed to make my way through it. Uh, like I was saving every other turn, so I made sure I got those lancer shots right. Um, I think I beat the game in about 47 hours. But if okay. you yeah, if you decided to do the uh, skirmishes, like I would recommend doing them for sure. And there's other stuff to do post game that I can't really talk about because uh, that's not allowed until the game's actually out. Um, I did actually put that in my review, but I had to like erase them. Uh, so you know that's just how it is. Uh, you probably could have gone 50, 60 hours oh, and still so, have so it is stuff to so do. it is considerably longer than the first game. I think even the first game, even if you do everything, um, is probably like forty. Yeah, like and, and there's going to be DLC coming out, you know, an actual like story DLC to to partake in. So it, there's still stuff to get invested yeah. in. Although obviously you got to spend money for that or buy the specific edition um like valkyra chronicles 3 that's the i've only played one three and now four i've not played two as i made clear in my review as well uh i spent uh getting through that uh and i was doing all the free missions which was easy to do like you just it kind of was on the route so it was pretty simple to do i spent about 65 70 hours so that was another i know you played three as well adam uh so i'm assuming you spent about as much time as i did on that stuff I think I mentioned last week, Valkyria Chronicles 3, just the nature of the game, mm-hmm. it, there's a high battle density. You're you're fighting all that. Like, there are so many free battles and extra battles and yeah. story missions. So, you, there's, yeah, it's this pretty stuff, long because it all... And I, I do a, like the approach for three more, I still think, because I like the sort of like the Dirty Dozen approach where, like, you're just this... Uh, name a squad like you're off the books you have to go behind enemy lines and try to sneak your way around to take out different bases of operations and ammunition depots and things like that without anyone noticing um but regardless like in four like they do it very smart like this is a different country uh it's not uh, gallia uh it's heffen and so they go to the north and so there's and and you know there's a lot like the maps themselves we were talking last week about how in in three and two um uh, you know part of it obviously being that they're handheld titles that there's not much variation in terms of map design like you go through the same maps constantly yes. like it didn't bother me at all but just because i was having such a good time with the game anyway with the core gameplay um that i never really cared about that so much in four though the variety is very much denser like it, there's way more uh changes in in terrain and map design like there's a lot more verticality so they're actually actually expecting you to take the high ground to take down high higher up targets and of course there's the grenadier so you're like taking out these um uh these uh these turrets and and these uh uh different um anti-take weapons and things like that and other targets is the grenad- from that is the grenadier kind of like the scout elites in the original only just souped up like mm. basically Explosive damage at a distance. Yeah, uh, but you know, um, like, well, like what separates a grenadier from a lancer? So they're a lot more vulnerable because the lancer has heavy armor. Of course, like yes. you know, you know, of course they've got like I think it's like blast armor. Like they've got their own armor yeah. set. But the and the grenadiers are just as vulnerable as 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 a scout because you have to like it takes time for them to set down their uh, mortar uh, rocket and set that all up and so in this case um, they're I, I would say they're better than a lot of those scatolites because they do interception fire and so that makes them very nice to have and because you get to actually move the camera to see where you're firing at it they become very useful for dealing as you said the explosive damage um, and, and later on in the game 
you can actually take down a lot of units with one or two shots kind of like a grenade would do honestly but that's it's like you get to take out these higher up targets um so they become extremely useful because once again you'll be doing a lot with a lot of troops that are up on higher elevations like you have to actually find a ladder and climb up to get to them otherwise you're just hitting the ledges which I'm sure you, you can agree, Adam, can be very infuriating when you're like trying to aim around like uh, sandbags on the edge of a cliff to shoot down on something, and you just end up wasting your ammo or your or your counterattacks on the terrain, which is really dumb. Yeah. Like I wish I could have more control. Like I wish I could go to first person sometimes and aim around some of this stuff and have better control. Which is actually important to point out that uh, the difficulty in this game, like there's easy and normal, and I believe the hard mode uh, is unlocked at the end of the game. I forget if the hard mode is unlocked at the beginning. At the very least, you unlock hard mode for skirmishes at the end, which, you know, that's one, I guess, thing I can say, even if that might be anti-embargo, but who cares? Honestly, that's like whatever. Uh, That on the normal mode... It was pretty challenging because we were talking about scouts and one of the biggest exploits you can do in Valkyrie Chronicles is take a scout from one end of the map to the other, picking up all the flags. And that's one of the biggest, I would say, core problems that the series has had is that, you know, you can really blaze through a lot of these missions just by sprinting to the flag, taking out whatever soldiers are there and capturing it. And then that's it for the mission and really get through really quickly. There are some maps that are like that, but for the most part, when you're on normal, the enemies do a lot more damage and there's a lot more like unit types. Like I said, the Gatling guns and, uh, and things like that there, they can demolish you if you're not careful and the interception fire, they deal more damage by default. So shock troopers, if you come across them are way more dangerous, it feels like, and the tanks themselves just completely demolish you. If you end up getting in within their sights, with their uh, machine gun turret. So um, for me, it, like, and the maps are a lot bigger too. So trying to get from one side of the map to the other can be more challenging because you'll usually be done with your AP by the time you get even a quarter of the way across the map. Um, and just generally speaking, like the difficulty ramps up, like the, the pacing is, I think is better. Like there's nowhere, like out of nowhere spikes. Cause you know, in like Valkyrie Chronicles one, like once you get to that giant tank, uh, that mission, that's when it really ramps up in points and then it kind of peters off and picks up again or whatever. This feels like a much more gradual ramp up. Like you definitely feel t- you're getting close to the end of the game because the missions go on a lot longer and there's like different stages of the maps that can be challenging as well. And so I, I definitely felt that. Um, I do think though that it would have been great if I was able to use that master table from the third game. but uh, And that's like my only real gripe that they didn't include that. So maybe with the next game, they'll put that back in. And that's the whole discussion I had last week about the ability to like choose your, choose any class you want with any of your soldiers and build them out the way you want them to. It's a, a, a pretty high level of customization that you just don't see in this game. Uh, but even with that, uh, <clears throat> every character kind of stands apart based on their, once again, their potentials and all the accessories you can equip on the characters and things like that. So there's still plenty to do uh, to set each a character apart. And there's definitely characters that you'll attach to them because there's so many of them. You'll find specific people, and especially with learning their backstories with the uh, squad stories, um, you'll become attached with certain people. Like there's Rosetta, who's a nun. There's Viola, who's just like this badass uh, uh, character. 
uh, that I just I, I had really a lot of fun with. There's just a lot of these people that you really like, and uh, and the voice acting I think really sells it like, across the board. I think this is the same. This was the same in the first game too, and 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 three. Um, the voice acting, especially the dub, like James, you were talking about how good it was in uh, Lab with the Refrain. Here, it's really really good. Like I I I think. Um, whoever, like all the different characters in here, did a uh, did a fantastic job bringing out the uh, personalities of each character here. Like whoever Sega got for for the roles, like I, I have to, I assume we have to wait till the game's actually out before they can actually reveal who who they voiced in the game. Because like you know sometimes like on Twitter, uh, you say like I can now say that I voiced this person, you know, and I guess it's some yeah. weird contractual obligation that they can't reveal until the game's actually out uh but i'm excited to see who voiced two because i i guess i, I can go through the credits at any time and find out for myself but honestly like they did such a great job like they really yeah. sold their their roles it seems like valkyria chronicles is like sega out of all the games that Sega released this year is i mean they, i know they had yakuza yeah obviously that's yeah, yeah. not dubbed but it was like Probably they, they, they're 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 not they didn't skimp out on that like no. like Shining Resonance's dub is not very good I mean it's not terrible it's just like eh, yeah it's um. it's what you would expect from from a game like that Yakuza yeah. of course like in Japan it has such reverence that they get like the top like actual actors to play those roles mm-hmm. and like there are like legendary vo- uh, voice actors and actual actors that take that on and it, the excitement around that series is as big as any other big movie or something like that like the people love that kind of stuff and people get excited about that that series uh which we'll actually get into later about some important things news regarding that but yeah um just to wrap things up yeah great game some qualms with it but boy like it's it's an excellent title that i think anyone who likes strategy rpgs or strategy games in general really will find a lot to love about that and when it comes out i hope that it does very well because they kind of deserve that um and yeah it's a it's also a great looking game so I'm, I'm excited to see what everyone else thinks of it when it comes out in a week from tuesday so let's get into the news then since we've gotten delaying it and like i said before there's a lot to talk about so um we'll go through a bit of like more of like a recency bias here uh because everyone's uh headspace feels like it's now on nintendo thanks to the nintendo direct stream like i mentioned that they held on thursday uh afternoon here in in California, uh, on the West Coast, I should say. So, um, the biggest news I think that came out of that entire direct, uh, aside from maybe the new Animal Crossing, which everyone was hoping for and kind of felt inevitable anyway. But that's still great that they announced it because you know it's been a long time since that series has been on a console uh, since the GameCube, I think. Um, unless you count that weird Mario Party. Game, whatever that thing was on Wii U. I don't even know. I, I, I still don't know what it was exactly. Yeah, it was like it was like a, a kind of a board game, but it was not anywhere near as interesting. It was more just you know, it was kind of bare bones Mario Party, which is like what? All right, uh, and required amiibo, I think. Anyway, uh, yeah, they announced that the Final Fantasy, the older titles, are coming to uh, Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. I mean, obviously they didn't announce the Xbox One at the Nintendo Direct, but that came out as well that that was happening, and that's huge. So we've got Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy X and X-2, the bundle, Final Fantasy XII, the Zodiac Age, and World of Final Fantasy, uh, you know. And seven. And, and yeah, Final Fantasy seven, of course, too. Um, all those games, uh, you know, it's huge. Like, that's, that's crazy, because you haven't seen 
obviously Final Fantasy 7, 9, 10, and 10, 2, or 12 on either console, and you haven't had a Final Fantasy mainline game on a Nintendo platform since uh, Super Nintendo. <laughs> so yeah. that is uh, crazy that that's even, happening. Even, even though Final Fantasy 13 and 15 were on Xbox, it's still kind of... <laughs> Well, yeah, it's still it's still just a little bit weird. It's like to see a like, you know, or on the Switch as well. I actually don't know if I've seen the Xbox box art, but just kind of thinking that like the Zodiac Age, you can play that on Xbox. Like, there's gonna be an Xbox box art with that on it. Yeah, and, and it's, it's physical. Still weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it, it's crazy. Um, and it was funny because so uh, you know, Final Fantasy VII recently had its 20th anniversary like a week ago. Uh. Uh, I think she think this past week, honestly, um, Final Fantasy VII 20th anniversary in America, and uh, one of the it was funny because I was I was pointing this out that the marketing in the time in the 90s for the PlayStation One original release in America poked fun at the fact that it was going to be released on the PlayStation and not the N64 because uh, and this is something you can find on Unseen 64, which is a great site that uh, has a lot of stuff from like the cutting room floor, uh, a lot of old concept art for like a lot of canceled games or, you know, just like beta shots and video footage like Final Fantasy seven started life as a Super Nintendo game before it was moved to be an N64 DD game. And then it was eventually put onto the PlayStation one. In, in a deal, a publishing deal with Sony at the time. And so, like, this was, like, a, a big deal at the time that they were having, like, these marketing uh, options. Like, you know, if you put Final Fantasy VII on an N64 cartridge, they did the math, it would cost $1,200 to do so yeah. uh, because it was such a massive game, um, which is weird because the third disc is just the North Cave and that's it. So, like, whatever. But it, it's uh, it's still kind of nuts to think that, you know, it all comes full circle. Full circle. Full circle. I can't pronounce my R's. So uh, that is something that um, is huge news, and it's great to see more people being able to play those games. I'm sure, you know, uh, by this time, I'm sure everyone who wanted to play those games probably could have because it's on – not only is it on, you know, PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 and PSP and Vita and all that stuff, PC, but it's yeah. – yeah, it's on PC and even on mobile. Like, you can play Final Fantasy Seven on mobile. Obviously not, you know, 12, the Zodiac Age or – uh, a ten and ten too. That's kind of limited because it's yeah they're on PC, but that's that's about it. Um, but that's great. I'm to sure see. they could run on phones these days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thirteen with the weird like cloud based whatever crap that was. Gosh. That was bizarre. Oh. Um, Did you know that they have a cloud version of Dragon Quest Ten on the 3DS in Japan? Yeah, yep. that, I remember I that. Know. That was a yeah, weird just... announcement. <laughs> So, uh, but you know, in Japan, obviously, because it's been a small island, like the internet is like a thousand times better over there, so they can manage to do something like that. And of course, it's the the absence of Final Fantasy VIII uh, that got people talking at the time. I know Alex had a tweet a Twitter thread about regard, regarding that about back then. You know, Square Enix would or SquareSoft at the time, of course, they'd put out a game, then basically shred the source code, like thinking that they didn't need it anymore, and Idos. When they put Final Fantasy VII on PC, I remember reading about the story. There's actually a uh, Made in Japan uh, article feature on Polygon that went deep into Final Fantasy VII in particular. Uh, how you know Idos was uh, given uh, like this broken old source code, kind of like when Silent Hill the remasters came out on on PlayStation Three from Konami. Like they gave 
the people at the time, I, I forget it was like Digital Scre Extremes or High Digital, I forget what the developer was, um, but they were given pre-original release source code uh, and they had to put everything out. They were given a very limited amount of time and that's kind of what Eidos had to do. And Final Fantasy VII was built on multiple engines. Like there was different kinds of like uh, codes for that stuff, not like st multiple graphic engines. It was like different engines for like middleware. And so they had to put all that compile all that and even when they released it on pc in the 90s it was kind of broken <laughs> like and there were a lot of translation issues that just didn't even exist on the ps1 release and so they had a lot of problems with that and of course you know they had to re-release it recently and back was like 2012 i believe and that was the definitive pc release but now people on nintendo and xbox the fans there finally get to try those games which will help kind of you know amass all the audiences when they eventually put out Final Fantasy 16 and so eventually that that could potentially happen I believe not long ago there was an interview I think it was like Game Revolution that made it pretty clear 15 won't be coming to the Switch uh, so that's kind of I think been ruled out but 16 could happen uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, you know with considering all the um, focus of Square Enix lately to put all their stuff on Unreal Engine 4 like with Kingdom Hearts 3 and Dragon Quest 11 uh, and we'll talk last about it. Remnant. Last Remnant, we'll talk about that. Um, that would uh, give me the uh, idea that, uh, give the uh, you know the illusion that we'll eventually see Final Fantasy 16 on, on the Switch as well, on all three consoles. And also, probably, probably within the next year, I imagine, or two, they're going to re-release Final Fantasy 8 for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Switch all at the same time. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know. Final Fantasy IX HD was announced out of nowhere, like, early last yeah. year. Remember that? Like, that was, like, a site I mean, that launched? Yeah. I mean, Final Fantasy VIII, it does have that PC version, but it yeah. is, like, the original PC version. Yeah, the and MIDI music. Uh, but Yeah, that, yeah. that's, like, I, I, that PC version is so weird. It's, yeah. it, it was, like, one of the very first things that Square Enix put on Steam. Um, and it was. It was. And it it even has the old Square Enix DRM where you have to log into your Square Enix account to play it. Like that's, you still do. That's so bad. It's, 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 it, it, and it like like you you can you can you can you buy it on Steam, but then like when you launch it on Steam, it actually like opens the Square Enix launcher. It's so uh, hobo. It's so it's it's, it's weird. Like they need to update it. Yeah. It's like the weird and like it, play online stuff when they used to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean that that's the thing, and you know. It's potentially that they could just do the same thing to eight that they did to nine, and of course there are you know mods for Final Fantasy eight if you want to put like any kind of music you want in there like put the better music yeah yeah I know Adam Reese or your brother uh, your brother did like the orchestra the actual like music like the orchestra yeah the and monsters. it was kind of weird because it's it doesn't really fit. I, personally I like the whole idea of putting like orchestrated music into a PS one game feels kind of off but yeah. that's because like it I prefer the original uh, composition that's almost too high fidelity like yeah which is weird because then you look at dragon quest 11 and the fact that you know you didn't get well, the original soundtrack for that either but you know whatever but apparently that's actually coming along like yeah. that mod yeah there's a, there's a fan of group a fan group is actually working on getting the original orchestrated soundtrack actually, to 11 out uh for the uh ps4 that, i think it's actually versions. like I think there's actually like two or three different groups all trying to work on it, almost yeah. kind of racing who can do it faster, yeah, or better. Freaking Basically, component. people are no, people know people want this, so yeah. people are working on it. Yeah, I wish freaking Dragon Quest composer understood that, but no, he's so uptight about his shit. Anyway, oh no, he knows. He just wants people to buy his CDs, go to concerts, and 
shit like that can't really do that um so but also other news that they revealed speaking of uh final fantasy uh chocobo's mystery dungeon everybody uh can i be honest here yeah can i be honest here this was the most interesting announcement for me same why is that i mean i've only recently gotten to roguelikes but like this roguelike i know it's supposed to be like a a beginner's roguelike or something you know it's yeah it was originally too yeah but like i don't know it's it, it's it's chocobos so it's not like a it's not gonna be like a serious final fantasy storyline it's just gonna be this little cutesy thing um but i've always meant meant to play the the wii version at some point and like i just i didn't know i was gonna get around to it and this is just like a perfect opportunity like oh hey they're gonna remaster it a couple of things and uh why not this you know i'm really interested in it yeah, I mean, yeah, it, uh, from what I heard, like they're they're really good. It was a really good game. I, if correct me if I'm wrong, was it like was that the game that was released on both the Wii and the DS at the same time, or something like that? Or? From what I understand, it was released on Wii, and that's the version that got localized back on Wii. Yeah, and then it, it like came out shortly after on DS, and the DS version had like a couple of different things. And that version was never localized. <laughs> it's kind of um, like that Crystal Chronicles, which had the same thing. Was like the was it Rena Fates or something like that, which was like Wii and DS. Yeah. Like it was a weird time for having those mm-hmm. games. I remember that um, reading in the Nintendo Power back in the day that uh, um, Ring of Fate or whatever the uh, Crystal Chronicles on both Wii and DS was, they looked basically the same. Like you had the DS models on the Wii, and it was like, oof. <laughs> yeah, I did not look. I did not play that version because that's not. It's not what I really wanted. <laughs> so, um, and we'll get to that in a bit too. That same series, in fact. <clears throat> Another announcement: Game Freak, who you know, as of late, uh, people don't remember, uh, don't really uh, understand this. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is kind of going. Um, Game Freak has been doing some th- uh, like working with other companies, like Sega. They put like that was it the Tum- Tumba, whatever it was, that elephant game, the platform, the badass, the badass elephant. Yeah, the badass yeah. Envo- uh, elephant. Um, so people assume that <clears throat> uh, Game Freak has only been working on Pokemon games, but they have broken out sometimes with other properties. Um, in oh, this man. case, I'm sorry. Pulseman. Pulseman, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Pulseman was freaking <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. one of their older ones. I yeah. wish they would put out that game again. That was an amazing game for the Genesis. Um, but uh, this was a this was um, the, the kind of out of nowhere that uh, they're working on a new turn-based RPG for the Switch called Town. Uh, Adam, you talk about this while I kind of recover my voice here. <laughs> yeah, you're losing it. Anyways, I mean, they didn't really show like a ton of it, but it's a it's like this cartoony... Uh, RPG for the Switch. It kind of gives me like a level five feel, actually. Like, yeah, the art um, style reminds me kind of a little bit of Yokai Watch and a yeah. little bit of Monster Hunter stories, even. Oh, fantasy, li- uh, fantasy, uh, fantasy life. What's it called? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it's this turn-based RPG in uh, that's basically set in a single town. Yeah, and that's hence the name. I I, I assume they're not going to keep the name town, but they might. Um, <laughs> so it's a turn-based RPG coming to Switch in 2019. But all we really know about it, like it's not a lot, is that this town, which is it's a castle town, so there's a castle and like a kingdom type of town, is attacked by monsters, and like your character and his friends are like going to take on these monsters, and it's got this turn-based battle system. But otherwise, um, I, they didn't show a lot of it. I 
actually trying to. I actually haven't watched the trailer recently, so I'm trying to remember if they showed it. Showed, they showed anything else? They showed some um, combat and the fact that villagers yeah. can help you. Um, it's kind of a. <clears throat> it looks like it's going to be a budget title for sure. It's looking like when like one of those twenty dollar, thirty dollar games because it doesn't look like it's kind of like you know my life as a keen or little keen story or anything like that where you can actually build your town. It looks like it's straight up. You can run around, pick up quests. As you said, fight in this one area. It looks like yeah, it's it's like it's pretty limited in scope, which is fine. It can be a lot of fun, yeah. even with that being I mean, the case. So, I think the name itself, town, which whether or not they stick with it, gives you an idea of what the scope is. Like it's going to be focused on this location. You're yeah. not going to go on. Yeah. I, I highly doubt this game. You're going to be going on a grand adventure to explore the world. That'd no. be really weird to name <laughs> yeah. a game called Town to do that. No. Um, but that's actually kind of interesting to kind of keep it yeah. that more. Uh, intimate or low scale i'm i'm not sure if this is a hot take but uh i think that i like most of game freaks non-pokemon games more than their pokemon games i'm actually kind of excited to see what this game turns out to be yeah Mm -hmm. because i remember uh what was it called because i only played the japanese version on 3ds but the solitaire horse racing game they had yeah they put that out i heard that was great like that was it really is it also has a uh an ios release in japan so yeah i wish that would come to android because i was excited to play that game uh but it's because uh nintendo did the translation and published it in the west yeah absolutely uh yeah it looks really neat i like the art style as we talked about the cell shaded style looks like a level five game as you mentioned um so i'm 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 definitely interested in checking that out but it certainly looks like uh it's uh, it's like a little side project which is cool and i'm looking forward to seeing more of that uh, we also got to learn more about the Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story, the remake. Of course, it seems like they're just going to go through that series and just release remakes instead of a new game, which is kind of a shame because I want them to put that on Switch, but we know what happened uh, with that Color Splash game. Uh, but yeah, they also showed off that Bowser Jr.'s Journey, which is like the first remake, uh, another spinoff. So, like a little side pro- uh, so uh, I'm sure off. Switch version is coming. It's probably like that Luigi's Mansion port where they're working on those to kind of just put games out there for the 3DS and since it's only mostly a port, they can put a lot of resources into another game that's just not been shown yet. I, I just mean as far as like they're not going to put the RPGs on the Switch, it feels like. It feels like they're going to keep doing remakes to help extend the lifespan of the 3DS and then um, continue on this action adventure series route with this with the console versions, which I hope okay, they change. I, there I, too. I think you're confusing uh, hmm. Paper Mario and Mario and Luigi. Those are no, two separate series. I know, I know. I'm talking about Color Splash. Yeah, it's it's that that well, I well, that, I would yeah. I would, but the uh, Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story is a Mario and Luigi game. Color Splash was a Paper Mario game. Yeah, I, I know, series. I know. That's what I'm saying is that I'd rather not have those Paper Mario games if they're going to treat the Mario and Luigi games because that's that was the big controversy. I would say is that people wanted Paper Mario to be the RPG series for the console, and Nintendo stood out and said, "No, no, no! You RPG fans, you've got Mario and Luigi, and you can play that on your on your portable system. Paper Mario is your adventure game, your action adventure platformer game." And that upset uh, me when they talked about that. That's I what have, I'm talking two, about. I have two things to say. First of all, when they first announced Color Splash, we actually like did cover the announcement <laughs> yeah, like, right? of that. that was right. But then we, we actually soon dropped it after that because they literally came out and said, like, this is not an RPG. It's an adventure game. We're like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what I'm Also, actually, I have two more things to say. Yeah. Sticker Star 
Paper Mario Sticker Star, which apparently Scholar's Clash borrows from yeah. pretty considerably. Not a good game either. Uh, I it's on I think it's honestly one of the worst games I've played. And I, I know that sounds hyperbolic, but there are like the 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 design decision there is of no how, reason to even battle anything. No the, the design decision of how the quote this is actually what they're called in the game, things work <laughs> in your sticker book is so like I have no idea what they were thinking. You have no idea which things you keep and which things you should ignore because you can't carry all of them. And then you have to have like a certain one for a specific boss. And you have no idea which one to pick until you get to the boss, and you just sort of try them randomly. And the, the guy gives you some clues at that point, but then it's just then you have to backtrack to go find it again. And it's yeah. just it's it's a terrible game. I and think. you have to anyway. go through the deck of it, and you have to like scroll through yeah. it all to find the particular one. You yeah, there's a. Those are problems with that. That's what I'm talking about. It's not. It's not that I'm confusing the two. It's that it's sad to see that the Paper Mario series has become the way it has, and then the Mario Luigi series is turned into just well. Let's release another remake. You know, yeah. I, I well, don't like he, that. He, here's the third thing I wanted to say. So when they re-released Stick, or Superstar Saga on 3DS, yeah, I, I reviewed it, and my 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 ultimate basically stance on it was like I they changed the art style. I think the new art style does look. Probably better in motion than screenshots would would indicate. Oh, yeah, like like smoothing, but, yeah. <laughs> but you still charm. But, but you still lose a little bit with the sprites. But I, I kind of felt like it was a fine remake, especially because you're going from GBA to 3DS. Because it's like, oh, okay, now you can play all the games on 3DS because they're either DS or 3DS games. You know, you can play you can play a version of them all. Um, I thought the the additional I forget what even what they even called it in the first game, but the additional side story in the first game. Was Bowser's Minions? Yeah, was awful. Like it's pointless and stupid and annoying. Um, so I thought that I, I probably said this when this game was announced earlier this year, but the fact that they're remaking a DS game for 3DS seems less necessary. Like you can you can already play it on a 3DS, and it looks good, you know. Yeah. And if the Bowser's Minion side quest of the first remake is any indication. The Bowser Jr. side quest of this is also going to be terrible. So it just kind of—it does kind of feel like why um, you can't just, even argue that you can't play the original game on a 3DS because you can, and it just—I don't know. Yeah, it's padded out, and it kind of reminds me of like Sony's yeah. rule that you can't like just release a remaster without any changes. You have to add something quote unquote significant, and that's like what that feels like um, when they when they do something like that. But yeah, it, it's I mean you're gonna keep running into that problem. It's like now you can play all these games on one particular platform. It's like unless it's on PC, you just keep running into that wall where it's like all right, some of the games are on this one, some are on this one. It's like the same with Kingdom Hearts. Like we finally got them all on the PS4. You know, it's like well, what if the PS5 comes out? You know. Um, and so it, I'm it's like expecting that. with all of the ports, like the Wii games and uh, even DS games now, that eventually, like uh, Kirby Return to Dreamland is going to get a 3DS port for whatever reason. I just have a feeling. I mean, no, I, I guess I should, I should, I should clarify something. Maybe I like ports. Like talking about the yeah. Final Fantasy stuff earlier. Yeah. Like I, I honestly think every game should basically release for everything. I know that's oh not, yeah. no, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I, I don't mind. I like them actually. I, I appreciate like, them a lot of times. There's really yeah. no point for something to be exclusive. You know, I, I know <sighs> obviously first parties are going to make exclusive games to basically advertise the consoles so they can sell those, but. You know, to me, it doesn't really matter what platform a game releases on. Just the thing with Bowser's Inside Story that just kind of makes confuses me is that like it's a DS game that you can play on 3DS already, so you, you don't really like need to port it. Yeah, because it, you can still play it. 
Like, yeah, it's not compatible in that way. So, what, what, James? I'm sorry, you got blurred out. What's sorry. up? Well, but who's selling new copies of that game anymore? And it's not like you can buy it digitally. Yeah, that's the that's the thing is that you know this is clearly what Nintendo's replacing Virtual Console with. It's like with this stuff where they're going to release yeah. these remakes and remasters. Like, I wish they would do what Capcom is doing with their Brawler bundle. Like, they're putting out seven games for twenty bucks, and it's a crazy cool uh, bundle because it includes some great games like Knights of the Round and Dungeons and Dragons. Shadows of Mystara. Um, like I, I love the fact that they're doing something like that. It's like, what if they did that where they just put all these older like uh, the the Mario Luigi games or Paper Mario games in one bundle? I get that it's it's not they could totally turn a bigger profit because you know they see that Nintendo fans are willing to spend a full price. Like people may complain about the Nintendo Switch tax, but they make way more money that way and they're willing to pay it because they don't have much else. Like they don't have other, another choice. And so they're willing to to keep that up because as long as the demand is high, they can keep raising the price. That's just simple marketing, simple economics. Um, so I totally get that, but I kind of wish that they would, you know, make it a little bit easier. I mean, that's they put out those SNES Mini and NES Mini stuff, and people are willing to do that. I wish they would do that for the consoles instead, like as digital collections. But then you run into that problem, as you said, like no one's selling it anymore. Uh, uh, if they're digital only copies, though. Um, you won't have access to it, and that once again remains the argument why, why emulation is so important sometimes. Because then you can't buy those games anymore, uh, or can't play them anymore. Uh, at least the physical copies. There are people out there still doing reproduction cards and stuff like that, but then you get into the gray market, and that can be a big problem there too. Like I think what was it like? Uh, a story came out today that iTunes are deleting movies from people's libraries, even if they bought them. Like it's it's runs into so much problems. Like yeah. you know, like Capcom putting out this brawler bundle. It's like soon enough you won't be able to buy those anymore because they're just digital copies. It's such a pain in the ass when you see stuff like that happen. So that's why personally I'm okay with remakes and remasters because it means that the licenses get renewed and the people can still play them. But boy, I don't know. Also, I should just mention, lost in all this, that Bowser's Inside Story is still probably the best game in that series. Oh, I, I heard great things. I've not played it, yeah. but I heard that like that's probably the best one that they put out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bowser's Inside Story is the one that I haven't played, so I should probably play it. Yes. Well, let's actually then let's let's kind of uh, wind things down with the last big thing about that Nintendo Direct. Aside from, like I said, the stuff that they are also announced, it was the details on the Nintendo Switch Online service. And so we already know a lot about it. Uh, for one thing, it's going to launch in a few days, this upcoming Tuesday, which is kind of weird because Nintendo updates on Thursdays. I kind of think that that would be like the big opening day for them. Instead, they're doing it on a Tuesday. Uh, but um, that some of the details that we got, aside from the pricing, which we knew, was that they're doing Nintendo Cloud saves, uh, which from the news stories that came out uh, this past week, it's that it's not for every game. It's only for certain games, uh, and Nintendo won't really talk about that. Uh, but also, it makes it sound like uh, if you cancel your Nintendo Online subscription service, uh, they won't tell you how long it will be until you won't have access to those cloud saves anymore. Because we know with uh, Sony, with PlayStation Plus, it's, I believe, six months. After you cancel it, you still have access to those before they go away. And I think Xbox, it's a year? I believe uh, I'm not 100% certain, but you know they've got the cloud technology. They can probably handle like that much space. Nintendo doesn't give like a, a hard figure, uh, which is kind of you know uh, disconcerting. Um, but yeah, 
the source of this information comes from their official FAQ page, which it, all it says, I don't have it in front of me here, but all it says is something along along the lines of, you can have cloud saves as long as you have your subscription. And that's it. So it's like, well, does that mean they go away immediately? Yeah, There's um, actually differing um, wording for the US and the UK versions of the pages. Uh, I, think so the UK page, I think the UK page says that they cannot guarantee that your saves will stay <laughs> after your subscription runs out. That's that's the thing is like it's so unclear and it's launching in a few days and people are so upset because you know like those saves that people have there's currently no way to take it off the system and so if you send your system in for repairs there's a good strong chance that you'll lose your entire save data like I, I know friends that have lost their breath of the, they've lost their breath of the wild save data after putting like 100 hours into it and so like currently there's no way to take those off it's like I guess some security reason, which is ridiculous because the switch has already been hacked wide open like, not long ago, yeah. uh, based on the fact that they used uh, Nvidia Tegra uh, as their CPU, and so people were able to hack that pretty easily for all the firmwares. So it's guess like he's not using Nvidia next time around. Yeah, absolutely, and that's you know AMD is already talking about their tech for the PS5 and the next Xbox. Like I think Nintendo is like, can we also help out uh, get some get some of that? Um, but yeah. also with the NES games. So what we know now is that um, every month you'll have access to three NES games as part of the service. So instead of <clears throat> great if they did the thing like PS Plus does and Xbox Live Games Gold, where you get like actual like Switch games and maybe like 3DS games or something like that for digital uh, services. Um, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that then it, this is clearly Nintendo Switch Online, so it makes sense there won't be 3DS games because like you're not going to pay to get online on 3DS. This is only for Switch. Um, so there's the three games rotation. A bit of a you know another speaking of like you know confusing wording. It's that. Uh, appears like with the NES games, you'll be required to check in every seven days in order to re-up your your time limit. Uh, but there's been some clarification that this is kind of like uh, on Netflix in that if you go offline, you have up to 48 hours after you tick the box to go offline uh, to you know check something out. Um, but it I don't know. It's like this is also no, another confusing thing. It's that you know. If you don't check in after seven days, say you go on vacation and you're not near any internet service during that time, like you go to some cabin off, uh, you know, next, next to a lake or something like that, you don't lose access to your NES games through the Nintendo Switch Online service if you don't check in every week. You can still download the games to play offline, but you have to connect to Wi-Fi at least once a week to refresh to refresh that offline time limit. So... I, I still don't know exactly what that means, you know, because it, it still means it, it makes sense. You don't get access to play those games, though, if you don't check in. I think that's, that, a, I think that's basically all it is. Yeah. I mean, it's if you download a game and then you're offline, you can play it for seven days. And then, like, if day eight rolls around and you're still offline and you try to play it, I assume it's just going to tell you, please connect to the Internet to play this game. Yeah. And then if you connect and disconnect even for just a second, then you can play for seven more days. I mean, these are NES games, so it's yeah, not like... it's weird, because, like, I don't... NES. I mean, it's 20 bucks, so, like, fucking whatever, you know? It's like, okay, or if you get a family plan, it's like you split it among your friends, like, five bucks, you know, a year. And that's great. Like, uh, it makes sense that you're not going to get, like, these amazing... Uh, uh, subscriptions like PS Plus or anything like that where it's like, you know, you pay 50, 60 bucks a year um, if you get on sale or not, of course. And you have way more services at your disposal. There's still going to be a lot of people subscribing and this is like pure profit for Nintendo. So they're going to make a hell of a lot of money off this since they offload a lot of those services that would normally come with the online service to like an app like voice chat. So they don't have to worry about 
upkeeping servers uh, server costs it's all peer-to-peer stuff a lot of the time and so it makes sense that you know this is not going to be some uh, amazing service personally I like nes games whatever like there's not a lot of nes games i care about really to play anymore super nintendo and n64 absolutely and this is someone who grew up playing nes so it's not like you know, I, I don't have, you know, a nostalgia for them. It's just that there's not many of them that I would consider going back and playing because they just don't hold up anymore. And, of course, there's other ways to play those games. Like, there's a better version of Dragon Warrior for mobile now that I would rather play. And, and they look better, too. So, um, for, in this case, uh, the 3NS games could be cool. I just hope they really expand on the library and give you better incentive to enjoy that stuff. But, you know, it, it also feels kind of weird that they had this very friendly cartoony like a very a charming uh video that they play to explain how nintendo switch online works it's like yeah we're paying for online service now you know it's something that we didn't have to pay for before and now we do uh but you can't blame nintendo because everyone else is doing it and there was that story not long ago that psn as a service was making more money than Nintendo did as a business. <laughs> and so, like, yeah. just on that notion alone, it's like, of course Nintendo's going to start charging for online service because Sony made a huge amount of money. As far as I know, PS4 and PSN, profit-wise, was the biggest money maker for Sony as a company. And that's yeah. also, I think, with Microsoft, like, a lot of the time, too. I mean, I, other than, like, you know, business networking stuff, you know. But, you know. I will say that one thing about that video that I found funny is that it felt like they were trying to say, oh, you can play online now. When it's like, okay, we've been playing online for free for like <laughs> yeah. a year and a half. Yeah, I thought it was a little amusing how they showed Splatoon as like the example. They're like, yeah, people have been playing this online. Yeah. And they're still doing it. Just- <laughs> They're just basically saying, now you have to pay to do this, okay? I mean, like, I understand it. It's just still a little bit amusing. Yeah, Yeah. but they still use friend codes, which is annoying as hell, but, you know. Yeah. At least, the well, to be fair, though, I do really like the system that they have where if you connect your Twitter, you can go friend suggestions for mutuals that way. Sure, sure. I've used that quite a bit, and it's actually relatively painless yeah but you do you can do that on ps4 and xbox so it's not like it's it's an amazing thing it's just like well why have friend codes i mean to be fair most of my online friends are from twitter so that would make some sense like i would rather be doing yeah. that so it's i guess it doesn't make it's not a big brother but still friends i'm sorry the family plan means that uh, if you have like seven other online friends are paying only like four or five bucks a year for the online. So I can't complain that much. Yeah. That's what I was talking about before that, you know, at that point and 20 bucks a year, you know, whatever, like that's like what a, a couple dollars. So, I mean, clearly that's, that's not a problem with it. I mean, actually it's literally like a dollar. So it, it's, it's perfectly fine. And so, um, that's a lot of the news that came out Nintendo direct. Uh, it, and this is something I commented later. It's like, uh, man, they, Nintendo does such a great job with these directs that I wish that Sony or Microsoft tried to do it because they just like Sony is so conference and stage oh. presentation driven. Microsoft, Microsoft has their weekly been show. Doing that recently. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. Like they have their weekly show. Although to be fair, like they don't really do a great job with those either. Like that's, oh, it's not a weekly show; it's a uh, monthly show. A monthly show, yeah. But even then, it's like Microsoft doesn't really have much to talk about. It's like all like Nintendo's products. Uh, first party, obviously, is so great. Sony's got a lot of first party games. They could be doing something big like this with, um, and they've got some personalities like Sid Truman and, and people like that. And, you know, Sean Layden could show up. I think, I think, Sony, I actually you know. think the closest PlayStation thing is actually probably PlayStation Underground, which is done by um, 
is that the right title? It's done by Holly Bennett in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah. so that's, that's probably the closest thing they have. And they just kind of do streams of not only Sony games, but games on coming out to PlayStation, you know, and it's oftentimes like kind of exclusive or first look type things. So that's, that's probably the closest thing they have. Yeah. And I mean, they, they have Sony has got PlayStation experience, but the thing is, is that it's hard to say if that's going to happen this year, because the other day, uh, Sid Schumann, who adds up a lot of the PlayStation blog stuff and, you know, he's, he's been on like, you know, the pre E3 uh, casts and stuff like that. Um, he was asked on Twitter if there's any information regarding PlayStation experience this year, because last year was announced back in June the year before. I think it was maybe announced like in September, October. So it's not like it's crazy, but still no details. And he's like, I've got nothing to share right now. Uh, but Capcom just put out a tweet yesterday evening where it said Capcom World Cup will be taking place like in the middle of December or something like that, which apparently conflicted with another uh, esports event that was going on, which was like there was a lot of uproar about that. But besides that, Capcom World Cup was always the event that happened during PlayStation Experience the same weekend. And so and that's, you know, clearly a deal with Sony. So the fact that that's not ha- clearly not going to happen the same time frame that PSX would normally happen lead me to believe that. Either it's going to be very scaled back this year, or Sony's going to put that money towards a much bigger event. I don't know. Because lately, it just seems like PSX has been not as exciting because they announced all the big stuff during like Paris Games Week, which is at the end of October. And they don't have anything else really big to share. Like last year's was kind of disappointing. And this is someone who's attended every PlayStation Experience event so far. I would hate, I, w- I would be disappointed if they don't do anything this year. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, you know, Sony lately has just not been very consumer focused. It feels like it feels like they've got a lot of hub- uh, hubris lately, and it's annoying. Like I, I've been frustrated. And then they put out PlayStation Four Six Point uh, firmware update, which was just another stability improvement. Like it had no features at all to be excited about. Why even was... have a beta? Why even have a beta? I don't know. Like uh, even like some part, it's like okay, maybe they added some stuff that's very developer driven, like uh, like in maybe some new security or networking improvements or uh, some other middleware improvements. But that's not anything that would the consumer would care about. Um, maybe they'll do something big for PlayStation Five because the PS4 was built using off the shelf stuff, so it's a lot easier for them to do like say backwards compatibility. Uh, but even then, like. We were talking I mean, about this in the Discord chat. It's like it's just it's just Nintendo feels like way more way better at doing this stuff lately than either Microsoft or Sony has been combined, and that's just disappointing. But let's talk about Sony's pre TGS conference. Talking about that, yeah. I uh, so they had their uh, annual pre Tokyo Game Show conference, like they always do. Like I said, um, on Monday uh, it was like two thirty in the morning. No one was going to stay up for that except for Kite. Thank God for I Kai. Up too, Thank, you, Kai. Thank you, Kai. Thank you, Kai. I know Kai. you did, James, but you, yeah, you just uh, you probably had a fever dream. Um, but uh, I had to work. No, I'm talking <laughs> about James. It's James that he stayed up. I, I, I was not in a, I was not in a uh, state of mind for me to cover that. Yeah, that's that's what I assumed. Like I said, you were like in some weird fever dream. Um, so yeah, thank you to Kai. He covered all the news that broke from from that live on our Twitter account. Of course, did the news posts as well. Many of them. Um, so the big stories that came out from that, uh, we were just talking about it not long ago, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered announced for the PlayStation 4 and uh, uh, with a separate press release also coming to the Nintendo Switch sometime next year. Big news. Awesome to see that. Glad they can finally break away from the fact you need four GBAs and link cables to play multiplayer in that, which was always 
a huge disappointment and the AI in the original game wasn't that good so playing by yourself wasn't really that fun either um <clears throat> So it's going to be fun to be able to finally play that game the way it should have always been. And all of a sudden, staff were excited to finally, you know, play that multiplayer uh, to check that out. This is Speaking of multiplayer, this is actually like the game. This 10-year-old or 13-year-old or however old this it's, game it's is. old, 15. I don't know. Yeah, uh, is like, this This is gonna, what's going to get me to like re-up to PlayStation Plus or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just, like... like like, I don't care about any other online game, but Crystal Chronicles, you bet. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if someone has to carry around the, the cup, you know, it's like, who's oh. going to be the cup bitch? Uh, I think <laughs> the, bucket. Awesome. <laughs> the bucket yeah. bitch, yeah. <laughs> that was always the thing. Like, I was always forced to do anytime I played multiplayer was that I was the one who had to carry that thing around while everyone else was having fun. <laughs> it's like, that was the one weird part about the whole game, which they kind of improved in later entries, but, you know, it's still like that one thing where it's like, all right, you got to carry that. We get to have fun playing the action elements of this. So, uh, but still, that's a cool thing to do, and I'm glad at least that the series continues to have sort of uh, reverence. Considering like the Wii game was the one that was like an action RPG, like very story driven. It was totally different um, than everything else that came before it. But it was still, it's still cool to see that still getting some some uh, recognition. Uh, another big deal with the same topic of Square Enix, Hideo Baba. Uh, showed off his project, the Stodia Ishtola project. It didn't have a title. It showed some animation. It looks like a Tales game, maybe a little more realistic looking, but it looks like one of those. It was only a teaser. The only gameplay we had was just a man running away from the a camera. Forest. Yeah. A forest, yeah, with a little shot of him, like his weird hairstyle, which is, you know, a Tales game, so go figure. Um, so we still don't know much about it, but it's cool to see from a project that was announced a few years ago getting some, uh, you know, some some uh, a highlight uh, during this conference, you know. So that was, I mean, it, it was cool to see. New IP, you know. Yeah. It's interesting from a new director. I mean, not, not a new director, but new director for Square Enix. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... A guy that yeah. was normally just a producer. I don't know. Did Hideo Bob actually direct anything for the Tales, or I was he a producer? So. He was just producer. Yeah, right? so for this, a long time. Yeah, all like, told, he's been around for for ages uh, since like the PS2 era, at least. So that's that's good to see that he's got a project like that. I was kind of wondering if Yuji Naka would also show up because he's with Square Enix now as of earlier this year, and we don't know what he's working on. Uh, Creative Sonic. Uh, we still don't know what he's up to, but hopefully we get that too. Uh, and on that same note, Psy Games apparently developing a new rpg like project relink or was Pre- project reawakening i think actually that's the uh no relink which which is the one that's the uh the uh grand blue fantasy one <laughs> i keep mixing this up i think it's relink yeah well, it's, that's platinum though. yeah exactly that's platinum games side games recently worked uh released that uh zone of the enders second runner remaster that came out this past week um that's them uh who did the remaster they said they want to make a new Zone of the Enders, which is great, but they don't have any experience developing a game. This Project Awakening game, this is their first project they've actually, a uh, console game they've actually developed. Grand Blue Fantasy, obviously they've got experience with mobile games, but not a console game. So this is the big thing. Kind of looking like a Monster Hunter game, <laughs> you know, a little bit, uh, based on the, the designs of like a giant monster and the animation-driven uh, mechanics. So hopefully we could see more about that soon. Uh, the protagonist looks like a generic Western RPG, like guy with a goatee, dude. So hopefully we get to customize the look of our character. But be that as it may, it looked ambitious, and I'm uh, I'm very interested to see more of that. Uh, That's what they showed. 
And also, coming off the news last week that Yakuza Studio was going to announce their next original IP, considering Yakuza Online is like the, you know, Yakuza. Uh, Kazuma Kiryu's story ended at Yakuza 6, and they moved on with a new protagonist with Yakuza, with Yakuza Online, which is the mobile game that's going through pre-registration right now. I don't think it's out yet, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, uh, or maybe there's a closed alpha or something. I don't know what the, st- the status of that is. Anyway, Project Judge. In Japan, it's known as Judge Eyes. <laughs> uh, but uh, Sega immediately in, Amer- in the West announced that that's going to come to the West as well as Project Judge. We've actually, uh, Kazma uh, annou- uh, did a playthrough of the demo. We're going to have a video up on our channel sometime soon, I hope. He was given access to our YouTube channel and he recorded a playthrough of the demo of this game, which looks like it's a very, uh, like it's court drama mixed with the typical Yakuza antics of having like a lot of mini games and, and the brawling segments and a lot of that stuff on the streets. But it's also a lot of courtroom stuff. I haven't played either series, but you know, I saw people kind of immediately say Yakuza cross Ace Attorney. Ace <laughs> Attorney, which is kind of like that, you know. And there was like the Ace Attorney investigations where you're on the beat way more, so that was kind of like what that was like. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 looking like a lot of high drama, uh, which is exactly what people would want from that series. Like they didn't take a, a very risky step away from the Yakuza stu- uh, series. They like they it's more like an evolution of that idea, which is pretty cool. And uh, everything looks great, uh, so I'm 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 looking forward to uh, seeing that demo. It's available on the Japanese PSN. You can download the demo, and it's also I think on the US and uh, European PSNs, if I'm not mistaken. No, is that I just I the Japanese so. one. Oh, okay. I yeah. thought the demo was Japanese only. Obviously, it's not that hard to make an account and download it. But no, no, no. So yeah, the, um, it was it was taken off the Japanese yeah. demo for like a hot hot second, and then put it back on. So yeah, it's only in Japan, uh, but obviously we'll eventually get it here. But um, yeah, you just have to make a to to access that. You just have to make uh, an account on PSN that is based in Japan, and you can download anything off the Japanese PSN because it's like it's region free after all. So yep. if people want to try that themselves. Uh, but Cosmos seemed pretty high on it, so looking forward to finding out what exactly that is. But getting back to. Um, now that we've got the Sony pre-TGS stuff out of the way, not nothing, not not like a lot of big bombshells on that uh, conference. Just some important stuff that you know, stuff to get excited for as far as RPG side is concerned. Getting back to Hideo Baba, his project that he worked on, uh, Tales of Vesperia, uh, the definitive edition, I guess was delayed because they said winter 2018, but obviously with the fact that winter ends near the end of December anyway, it's just a couple weeks. That's going to be out oh. on January 11th. So, well, here's the thing. It, yeah. it depends from company to company. When some companies say winter 2018, that means December 2018, January 2019, or February 2019. Like, that's that's fair because when you silly. say winter 2019, everyone's like, you mean December 2019? Yeah, I, I guess yeah. it makes more sense in the grand scheme. Uh, it just means sometime in that time frame. Yeah, it, it, yeah. winter is always weird, you know, being at the end of the year and like what is do you count this 2018 2019 because it straddles it but yeah really, honestly so yeah just, so comes yeah. out in january comes out in january um apparently there's going to be uh, a special 10th anniversary edition coming out in japan that's got like a big box and you know art book and other I'm, garbage a lot of a lot of stuff like that i know you're not a fan of collector's editions anyway so it's not like you were interested <laughs> in the first place but um you know it's also going to be like i think it was supposed to be like you know 30 
20 30 bucks more to buy that particular version compared to the standard edition of the game which would also be included in that 10th anniversary that's only confirmed for japan and actually i think there's like this weird like i forget what it's called like the plastic standees also included with that it's just not a figure uh, which is whatever i believe banda nimco you know naeu said there's going to be a special edition like they've already announced like the like steelbook version yes, yes they did but they, they, there's going to be we're, we're, we'll have one probably exclusive to their store yeah but they just haven't like they probably mix up they haven't decided on exactly it's what it's going to be yet or yeah. how what how I mean, that's the same thing that happened in Yokuni 2 Revenant Kingdom, where it's like there was different editions for each region, and it was yeah. bizarre, and some of them were good, and some of them were bad, and so, like, you know, with Tales of Vesperia, they can probably produce, like, at least five different editions of that game, because there's so much reverence that they know people would invest in that stuff, so, in a particular one that they want, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm just cool with having that Steelbook edition, because that's pretty cool, uh, but we'll have to wait um a little bit longer to find out what exactly those are uh but let's get to some other news some other exciting stuff because this is crazy uh we were just talking i think about this last week that we kind of wish this game would be on pc uh and then yesterday the news broke uh that resonance of fate was rated on the germ on germany's uh ratings board the usk uh that it's going to come to the ps4 and pc I don't know why. It's kind of like the other well, piece of news we got that's like, you know, this game I don't think did that well, but Well, it's... I think it's just when you when you when you think of like Sega console exclusives in like that PlayStation 3 Xbox 360 generation, like yeah. the games that came to mind were like Valkyria Chronicles, Bayonetta, Vanquish, Vanquish yeah. And then it's like, well, Valkyria Chronicles went to PC. Vanquish went to PC. Bayonetta went to PC. Heck, now even Yakuza is on PC. Yeah, yeah they all like, did. What else great. is left? <laughs> they did great like, on when you, PC. When you, when you start narrowing down, like what is left, then Resident Evil Four just comes up. Like, why not? Yeah, um, I mean, binary domain for PS4. Come on, come on. Uh, but yeah, no, it makes perfect sense because, as you said, they're they're just a console generation removed, and it's not hard for them to do something like this. And as they said they would, they're going to reach into their library and, and bring these games back into for current players to enjoy. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Resonance of Fate came out, uh, but I and imagine this lot... Yeah, and Shenmue, of course, also, uh, recently. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, you know, clearly, this is just building up to Skies of Arcadia on PS4. I mean, come on. Uh, but, you know, that's <laughs> that's something I wish... Um, actually, um, didn't M2 say that there might be Dreamcast games in Sega Ages? Uh, potentially, but, you know, I assume that's just going to be... Was it like that... What was that choo-choo rocket <laughs> you know like and the space channel vr game that's also like that um which was well, also i mean if uh, there's already rpgs in sega ages with fantasy stars so maybe yeah skies but that's will be on switch i don't want to i don't want just a port of skies of arcadia <laughs> i want a remake or a remaster like sega ages fair, is just though, them just making it playable is more like a remaster than the straight port I, I mean, Sega Ages, though, is just a port. That's the thing. Like, that whole line is just ports, really. Like, it's the stuff that you already can get, like, on Sega Ages Collection. I mean, be that as it may, super excited to play Thunder Force 4. Like, I'm stoked as hell to play that game. Anyways. But that's still Resonance something that's going to happen. But Resonance of Fate is... All we've got, obviously, is just that news. But should also point out, and I, uh, Seda, you actually helped me figure this out, that uh, the Twitter accounts for those three, uh, the three main characters have been revived. Yeah, the Japanese Twitter accounts. Yeah, yeah. So we so, so, so credence to it, and also Triace, the developers of the game, are going to be announcing something at TGS. 
Yes. Like, I guess maybe the most conservative announcement is that they're just announcing this remaster for play- PlayStation 4. Yeah. Like, like what if, what if we, <laughs> yeah. Like, what if, like, what if it's, what if we get like a, a double announcement where it's like we get a remaster and a sequel type of thing? It would be uh, uh, because a cl- I mean, that seems a little bit far fetched, but who knows? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I actually, I would assume it's going to be because um, on the Dengeki Online, on their through their news, it's that they were the ones because they have a stream going on right now. Uh, that you know, they just put up their live cast early, a week early. Uh, people to you know just tune into their YouTube uh, channel to wait for it. Uh, on there, they showed a calendar of events, and on September twentieth, it said new title information. So this is a new game yeah. from Trice. It's not. I would not imagine it's going to be Resonance of Fate necessarily because it's a new Studios title. Japanese studios usually count like uh, remasters as a new title announcement, though. Not, not, uh, not. I've not seen that necessarily uh, from from going back. It's that this would not be, and this is something that it was rated in Germany and the Japanese accounts too. But this is something that would be more like a global thing. I think for TGS, they wouldn't necessarily do something like that for this. But, but who knows? Ch- Trias is now owned by a Chinese uh, mobile juggernaut, and so it could be just a mobile game. <laughs> Honestly, like it very uh, it could very well likely be that. And considering a few months ago uh, in May there was a Star Ocean uh, fan festival, it was mostly around Anemnesis, which is the mobile game that came out in the West not long ago. Um, that at that time the uh, this, the lead the lead of the series said in so many words Kobayashi said that you know you're gonna have to wait longer to get news on Star Ocean Six. I'm sorry, but you're gonna have to wait. I would not imagine that's gonna be the announcement because it made it seem nah. like it's a lot farther off. <laughs> so maybe Valkyrie Anyways, profile. But, you know, <laughs> Resident Evil best fashion RPG there is. Oh my gosh, that game looks so stylish. And I hope I, by I'm actually dead play, serious. The fashion elements of that game might be the best thing about it. It's great. Costumes are pretty awesome in that game. Like the weird like what do they have the clothes that look like they're wearing bikinis but they're just clothes. Uh it's pretty great. But um I hope hopefully I, I can actually like unravel the battle system in that game is so complicated. So I hope that I can learn it in this new release. Uh but also and other surprise announcements, The Last Remnant Remastered, which we kind of alluded to earlier, announced for PS4. Only PS4. So we talked about before that it was delisted out of nowhere on Steam. Uh, I mean, they announced it was going to be delist- delisted, and it was this past um, uh, a week ago. And then the next day, they announced The Last Remnant Remastered for PS4. A lot of questions about that. For one thing, we know, of course, it's going to be brought to the Unreal Engine 4 is the remastering it using that engine, uh, which kind of makes me uh, makes people think, and a lot of people have already, you know, uh, suggested this is that the license for Unreal Engine 3 ran out. So they had to, you know, if they want to bring it back, they have to put it on four. Last yeah. remastered did not do that well, so I don't know why they really bother with this I mean, the original yeah yeah like but what's really the point <laughs> maybe it was, maybe it just they they there was a post on playstation blog that kind of detailed it a little bit more yeah and i mean it's a 20 it's 20 dollars in yeah. the west it's 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 equivalent to 40 dollars in japan kind of weird yeah uh, we're kind of weird. well according to see um steam spy well older numbers Last Remnant sold over five hundred thousand on PC, so I mean, well, well, a lot of those were at like two dollars, but still, yeah, it was <laughs> still, super cheap. I mean, it adds up. So. I would not, I would not give too much credence for that thing because, yeah, that's the thing. Um, uh, but uh, so they said, first of all, oh. might be oh. my favorite game. So, anyways, uh, 
what might be your favorite game? Yeah, you kind of cut out there for a second. Oh, sorry. The last remnant. Like, <laughs> I love this game. Um, but they said on the PlayStation blog that there's no new content. So it's not, they're not adding anything. But that there's going to have the PC basically additions. Obviously, you'd expect that. But also, um, that it's being that they're redoing things like lighting and things because they're doing it in the new engine. So it maybe it was just a really simple just port for them to do, kind of making the worst or the best out of a bad situation. Like, well, we have to delist the last remnant because we're, we're going to lose our license to Unreal Engine three. And I don't know if they have any other game that uses Unreal Engine. Um, no, not really. I mean, this was like, like one of the last like, ones. I'm trying to think. Like, does Just Cause two maybe use it? I don't know. No, or is that Avalanche's I, own engine? Um, but. Yeah, I think it's Avalanche's engine. Yeah, so so it wouldn't maybe be worth it for them to keep that license if that's like the only game that uses it. So maybe they're just like, well, let's just put a small team of people on remastering it, and we're not going to put a ton of effort into it. We're not going to sell it at a premium price. And that's this maybe the best decision they can, can, can could come up with. So, but anyways, I I I'll probably replay it. I really don't know if it'll be worth it. It's still weird that they haven't like. Is this going to come to PC again? Is it going to be resold? So dumb. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. It's just so, PS4 for now. Yeah, so it's going to be on PS4 as a digital-only title. It's going to be out, released uh, America, Europe, and Japan on December 6th. So people can look forward to it. Yeah, like there, there is a recent interview on the PlayStation blog. And just to wrap up this bit of news, it just says that, you know, back then we wanted to make it for, uh, we wanted to release a PS3 version that was canceled. And so we were all kind of waiting to be able to make a port or rem- uh, the fact that we can now do a port or remaster. We're excited to do this. It's like, this makes, this is so weird. <laughs> it's like, you're waiting like a 10 years and like, you're excited. It's like, they believe it's still the test of time. It's like, I know you love the game, uh, Adam. I know. It's such a I, weird thing. I actually, like, it's a weird game. Like, it's strange, but I like it because of that. But I do think they kind of oversold it when, like, I think they literally announced it like it captured the hearts and minds of everyone across the globe. And it's like, really? No, no, really? no, no. That's not how I would put it. <laughs> that was Infinite Undiscovery. That was the game that <laughs> captured everyone. Apparently, that was like the, the, the RPG that ended all. What was the what was the 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 cap- no, the last one? the last remnant was originally billed as an RPG for the world. Oh, yeah. It was meant to appeal to the West. Uh, I mean. I like it a lot, but that probably has nothing to do with it. Um, Wasn't it like the game? But yeah, I think it was like uh, the, one of the biggest assembly uh, assemblings of like a development team that they ever put on a project was the Last Remnant, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm, I'm not sure. I know the Last Remnant, like the most of the original development team for that, ended up doing Final Fantasy 14. Actually, yeah, like, that's true. That's so. true. So uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's just a, such a bizarre thing and. The fact that it didn't sell that well until it was like two bucks, you know. I think it was even a free humble bundle game at some point. Well, you had to yeah. like put like a, at least a penny down to pick it up, but still, that's that's weird. That's so weird. So let's uh, wrap things up with the last bit of news as that dog plays in the background. Uh, <laughs> Tokyo Games, not Tokyo Games. It's Tokyo T O O K Y O Games. It's a new development studio that was formed by the creators of Danganronpa and Zero Escape. So, um, the, uh, I forget what the, the full title was, but the AI game that, uh, uh, that the creative Zero Escape was working on, that's still coming out. Uh, but the Dungaropa, the creator of that, left Spike Chunsoft not long ago. And so this is like his, this is the new studio that he was hoping to form. And now you've got these two big players 
uh, which is basically like the full development team of Duncan Ropa followed him uh, uh, into making this new uh, studio that's uh, that they that they formed. And so this is um, this is something that they that they formed, and now they're working on four projects. Three of them are games. One is an anime that they're working on, which is actually the anime sounds kind of cool because it's inspired by '90s action films like Pulp Fiction, <laughs> which is sounds amazing, and, and I, I I kind of excited about Black that. Lagoon, the professional, yeah, the Black Lagoon. It actually kind of looks like Black Lagoon, which I'm totally down with if they do. I something. love Black Lagoon. Oh, it's great! <laughs> it's also awesome. Like everything about that, even the OVAs. Even um, if you don't like anime, you should watch Black Lagoon. Yeah, it's like it does not feel like an anime. <laughs> it's kind of like Cowboy Bebop. It's it's just as good. Uh, in my opinion, um, but yeah. So the three they they announced four projects. Three of them kind of are in line with what you would expect. And so, like the first one, they don't have any titles for that. But the first project looks like it's more Duncan Ropa, <laughs> uh, which just kind of makes sense. It's it's going to be some form of visual novel or adventure game. The second project uh, has Uchikoshi, who is the creator of Zero Escape. Uh, he's going to serve as the scenario writer, writer, excuse me, uh, and uh, the uh, Artist from Katana Katari, which was an anime, doing the art for that. That's another project. The third project is a collaboration with Spike Chunsoft. So they're still working with them. So I expect all these titles to be published by Spike Chunsoft in some capacity. So there's still a working relationship there. Um, so there's that. And it's going to be a dark fantasy mystery game that's been in development since before uh, Kodaka, who's the Dagarupa leader, uh, left Spike Chunsoft. So that's still a thing. So I guess there was still like, like an agreement there. They just decided to form a new studio anyway during its uh, making. So, <clears throat> yeah, all the I news. I wonder is if the new studio is actually a subsidiary of Spike Chunsoft because I know some um, Japanese companies do that. I don't know. There's a because Twitter account know, that's. Uh, Go ahead. I know Takaki-san from uh, that does the uh, Center and Kagura series. He's technically works for Honey Parade with an Infinity sign, yet that's a subsidiary of Marvelous. And then there's another Marvelous um, subsidiary from the create well, not, not the creator, but uh, director of the Rune Factory series that opened up recently or something yeah. like that. But uh, no, I actually believe that this is not a subsidiary, Spike Chunsoft. They made it seem, and this is pretty clear based on what they said, that this is a fully independent studio that has full creative control over what they want to make. And so I think that they probably have like a contract with Spike Chunsoft, but this is a fully independent uh, studio that has the freedom to do whatever games they want. That's the reason they made this to begin with uh, and made it seem. And the fact that they're making an anime, which is not what Spike Chunsoft will get into anyway. So, uh, I mean, Studio Pero, which is not a great studio. Um, well, uh, I mean, even I know Spike Chunsoft yeah. funded the Dongarampa 3 anime. Yeah, but that's, that's not, we don't talk about what that. What Dongarampa 3 anime? Uh, yeah, honestly, uh, I don't address that because it's not canon in my opinion. I got all the people that I loved passed away in that show, and I don't want that to think about that. Um, but no, it's 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 it seems pretty clear that this is fully independent, <clears throat> and they're working on their bless you by the way. Uh, they're working on their it's it's a fully independent project uh, uh, studio that they've started, <clears throat> and it's really exciting because it's cool to see something like this come out in Japan that they're willing to do something this major. Uh, and especially when you have multiple projects being worked on, it makes me think that they got a lot of funding. And some, uh, I assume maybe uh, Spike Chunsoft, even if they are not a subsidiary, I assume they made a hefty investment in the studio. And, and that's part of the reason why they're also working with them uh, to publish some of their titles. So that's, that's exciting news. 
and it's cool to see people that are have such uh, amazing creativity uh, and inspiration and ambition that they do uh, when they put out some of the best games that we've ever played. That they're uh, going to do something so crazy and and so risky, and so I'm 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 looking forward to seeing the stuff that they put out. So I think that's it for the news. We had a lot to talk about, guys. Uh, yeah. Yeah, over an hour's worth of just That's what stars. happens when you have a pre-TGS stream and a Nintendo Direct in the same week. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but next week, Tokyo Game Show proper kicks off. And Oof. we know already there's some big stuff that's going to be announced during the course of, of that week. Um, not least of which, of course, being whatever Trice is working More on. More Umihara Kawase Fresh news. Yes. Not that we're going to talk about it. But. Nope. Not really. Uh, they've already put a screenshot, and that's just like Metroidvania, Umurara. So we'll find out. But in any case, I'll tell you guys where you can find us. You can find all the news that we talked about today and, and some other stuff like that uh, on RPGSite.net, where we got the reviews for Valkyria Chronicles 4. And yes, that Xenoblade Chronicles 2 Torna, the Golden Country, uh, which just dropped on the eShop uh, yesterday. You guys can check that out as well uh, for the reviews. Quest country. Yes. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, find us at, at RPG Site, the handle. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash RPG Site Net. YouTube, youtube.com slash RPG Site Net. You can find us on iTunes, favorite podcast app, to search for Tetracast. Find us on Discord. Our permanent link is discord.me slash RPG Site. You can also, lastly, we'd like to share where you can find us on Twitter. So, where can they find you, Adam? <clears throat> K-I-N-G underscore S-E-D-A. Okay, where can they find you, James? You can find me at the suite at T-H-E-S-W-W-E-E-T. Great. You can find me at Zachary's. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Adam and James, for being a part of this podcast. Thank you all out there for listening in. Uh, and catch us next week where we're sure to have a lot of news on the next edition of the TetraCast. Bye, everyone. <laughs>